Hi, I'm Jacqueline Freeman. And I'm Sarah Korn. You're listening to Kitchen Table Alchemy, living in full color. This is a podcast for people who see and spread the magical in everyday life. So, welcome to Kitchen Table Alchemy. Um, the temps are heating up here in Phoenix, so we've got stuff over ice today uh, instead of hot tea. But um, this first segment, we want to we realized that we have been distracted lately um, and kind of caught up in all the crazy politics stuff that's going on. Um, and even though. Uh, our attempt and intention is to bring it to a deeper place and take it from there. We realize that we're moving away from what our sort of core intention is for this and what we see as being the solution to a lot of the insanity that we see happening on the 24-hour feed right now, um, which is to get in touch with your creativity and to express that in the way that best fits you. Right. right. So, yeah. um, so we're going to open up and, and we have made a commitment to ourselves and to you. So if you see a strand, then let us know, um, that, uh, there needs to be a segment on creative life and creative living, um, in right. every podcast and that we cannot let, strange orange people push us, <laughs> push us away from that. So, um, yeah. Well, cause so. it goes back to that idea of saving yourself and, you know, even though it is good to talk about the politics and things that are going on in the world, that's still a reactive, uh, type of approach. And really, if you want to fix what's out there in the world, um, as that saying goes, be the change you want to see in the world. And so um, that's something that we're really focused on in this podcast is uh, improving yourself because not only does it benefit you, it benefits the well, world. And I even in. wonder like if improving isn't even the right word. It's more like be like allowing you to flow. Right. Yeah. And that creative part is is one of the most accessible and effective ways to do that, to yeah. find the ways to kind of peel through these different layers of like social expectations and social programming. And, you know, there's all this stuff that's heaped on us the minute we come out, like some of it starts before we're even born. Right. But, um, you're assigned a socioeconomic status and and probably a religion and a gender and you know like people just kind of put all this stuff on us the minute we get there and our artistic life or creative life is a way to kind of peel all that stuff back yeah and, and it's find usually out. seen interestingly enough the artistic thing is usually seen as an extra you know, like, right. oh, if you are lucky enough to be able to indulge Must be in nice. creativity, yeah. yeah, like it's a, but really human beings are by nature, we're creative yeah. and we all have creative instincts. And so it's not just for people who are artists and who are those artsy type totally. of people, but all people have a desire to do things that are for their own sake, that um, the joy and the result comes from the process of doing it and engaging in the activity yeah. itself. And then whatever result comes out of it, like a painting or a beautiful garden or whatever is it's the icing on the cake. It's yeah. the ant, you know, you got to enjoy this wonderful activity when you were in flow and you were expressing yourself. Oh, and here's this wonderful thing that resulted from it, but and it I doesn't have that, to have the result. Yeah, I love that you said 
humans are by nature. Yeah. So if we like take that apart, then we realize that if we are not expressing that part of ourselves, if we do not have that creative outlet, if we are not making room for that in our lives, we are moving away from our nature. Yeah. And we're pushing it down or denying it. And then it we and have the mess that yeah. we see in front of us, right? Yeah. So, like, stepping into our nature and being what we truly are, right, is mm-hmm. the answer to these problems. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. So, we... So we we want it. We need to do that. Yeah. So, and I've experienced that, you know, it's really powerful when, when you are feeling satisfied, because that's one of the things that engaging in creative work does is it gives you the sense of feeling, uh, satisfied of being in flow with the world. And, and, you know, because you are, you know, just like you, when you're thirsty and you drink water, you your thirst is quenched. And so there's a part of us that thirsts for creativity. And so there's a sort of feeling of relaxation and calm and safety and centeredness that comes from uh, satisfying your creative side. And so when you are living in that kind of a place, you're nicer to other people, you're nicer to yourself. And so that's where creativity can affect the world. If you think, well, how can me be more creative, you know, make an impact on the world? That's how it makes an impact is that, you know, what, what you do, we're all sort of like pebbles in the the pond and we're always sending out ripples. And so when we're in a bad mood, other people experience that to some degree or another, whoever is around us, whoever we come in contact with. And so when we are in a good mood and we're feeling fulfilled, then we're sending out those positive vibes. Well, and I think too, just that the fulfilling nature of that. I mean, if you're doing, when you're doing your thing, right. And it doesn't have to be what would be considered the high arts, right? Like Mm. you don't have to be a visual artist or, um, painting a masterpiece, a writer or, or yeah. like choreography, doing the choreography for the next like Joffrey Ballet or whatever. <laughs> it can um, be problem solving. Problem there's so solving many, is like the thing that's your thing is going to be the thing that you start doing it and you don't realize how much time has passed. Yeah. And you're not really, hung- you may like, I was talking about this this week, um, like how when we're in that zone, if I am painting, for example, um, I was talking to my mentee this week and she has the same thing. Like we forget to drink, we forget to eat. We have no idea what time it is. And the only thing that will stop us is when, um, it's gotten so dark that we can hardly see and we have to like turn on lights. Yeah. Right. So I don't ha- even have to do that. Cause I do mine on a computer. Right. <laughs> yeah. so, right. So you look around and like, you can't find that like function key on the keyboard because it's so dark in the room. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, so it's that thing. Right. Yeah. And it's not, it's not this like manic. I lost track of time or, Right. But it's just, um, being in that state of flow. Right. And there's so many different things that you could do to be in that space. Well, like in sports, they call it being in the zone. Right. That's the flow state. And I love what, um, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about too, with, um, curiosity, because I think like a lot of times there, there are a lot of people like, you know, follow your passion follow your, and sometimes, 
uh, if you don't know what your passion is, and I've certainly had clients that are in the space where they're like, well, I've, I've never really been that. I mean, I'll do things for a little while and then, then I don't do them anymore. And, um, and then it'll go a long time before I do the next thing. And so all the passion talk makes them really feel like there's something wrong with them because right. they don't feel that burning flame or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm a very passionate person. So, um, so for me, being in a space where there's no passion makes me sort of like, okay, what's going on? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm now learning to, uh, in this grief phase that I'm in right now, right. Like I'm just letting that be like, I, (laughs) I decided. So like when my mom died, I ran away from the grief because it was really big. I mean, I got a lot of closure on her bedside and it was wonderful, but um, the things that came after, I didn't want to deal with. And I had a lot of other things to deal with, so I focused on those. And then when my stepmom died, I tolerated the grief, right? So I didn't try to mm. run away from it or chase it out the door. Um, I tolerated it, but I didn't really want it there, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, and this time I have decided to, um, just invite it in and make it a pot of tea <laughs> and like get the guest room set up for it. Cause it's going to be here for a while. <laughs> like, yeah. do you know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> so it's really, it's really, uh, an interesting place to be in it. In a lot of ways, it feels like depression because my sleep cycle cycles are upside down and like even things that I enjoy take a lot of energy out of me and I can feel the energy drain and, um, and that kind of stuff. And I don't have the fire for, for some things that I have had fire for. Um, but that's okay. Cause I know this is just part of it. So it's really interesting to be in that space. But, um, even with all taking all of that into account, right. There's still, um, this knowing and understanding that I need to, clear even more space for my creative life right now. Hmm. Right. And, and it may be out of curiosity. So I don't have like paintings burning in my mind that need to get onto a canvas, right? I have a stack of canvas in the corner of my living room. Like I have everything I need right now to be able to, to let that happen. If it comes through, that's not what's happening for me right now. Um, luckily with this, I have a place for my words when they come forward. Right. Um, but, uh, kind of in honor of my grandmother, I've decided that I, I want to start doing more gardening, right? So like getting my hands down and I don't know that much about it and I haven't been very successful in the past. And, um, but I feel like, but there's a curiosity there, right? And, um, and it's not like a, it's not a burning thing. It's not like I'm going to be up at night uh, digging beds in my yard or something. Do you know what I mean? It's not that kind of a passion. Right. Exactly. And it may become that. I don't know. It might just be a practice. And that was something that Elizabeth Gilbert talks about in the first, um, lesson of the class. That's right. Yeah. And I think I posted it in the Facebook group. So anybody in our Facebook group can find that link and get into it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what she talks about in the first one is following your creativity. Or following your curiosity, right? As opposed to you know expecting this finding your passion. passion. Yeah, da, da, yeah. Da. It's just sort yeah. of follow curiosities, and some of them will turn into something, and some of them won't. They'll be just kind of like, oh, okay, I 
learned about that and I did it a little while and it was interesting and now I'm moving on. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So like, and it may very well just become like a practice for me. So I think, and I think that's what, and that's really healthy. So it's one of the gifts that the grief is bringing, right? And this sort of um, unmoored state that grief brings with it when it's like, when you don't want to do things that normally you really enjoy doing and where you like me, I have aversions to things that I always liked actually. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, so it, it is this sort of unmoored state and, um, but it's helping me see like, okay, I need, I need, I need practices that are grounding. Right. Like I know, um, for me, I know that I'm getting ready to complete an initiation that was started at the end of my time in Holland. Mm. Right. So the grief is opening the door for that. So I, I, I need something to ground me. I need something, um, where I'm not floating around in my head. Right. And I think that's, um, and I think that can be the, one of the reasons too, that a lot of us don't pursue, our curiosities or the creative things that we like to play with. Right. Because we, we have this knowing that if I start making space for this, if I clear a place aside, then what is it going to unlock? And, and how is that going to turn my life upside down? I mean, yeah. I think if we're really honest about what holds us from the, instead of like beating ourselves, like, yeah, I know I should do that. It was so much fun when I was in high school and I did it. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. No, but the kids, whatever. We like, we have our excuses about why we don't go there. Right. And, and we talk a lot about, there are a, a lot of benefits to that, right? It is going to make us more alive, but being more alive is, is is like it's scary that's why more yeah, people I'm aren't reading, more alive i'm reading this book right now that is um that's it's for it's geared towards writers fiction writers and it's about um his philosophy is that you um the 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 way to do great writing is to basically tap into your unconscious and really dig deep and and um and and take what's in there and bring it out into your writing and and he said that's really hard for a lot of people because you know not everything that's down there is pleasant and and it can be really intense and so people tend to as a result write surface stories that are about the plot and about interesting things happening and and not really diving deep into those things that are going to uh, connect with people on a right. emotional level, which is really what makes stories so powerful. With yourself on an emotional right. level, right? Yeah, and yeah. and uh, you know, I've heard people say that uh, writing stories is an energy transference business, and you're you know you're taking your energy and your experience and you're transferring it to the audience through your story. Interesting. And people can pick up on that. I mean, you can tell we've all experienced it. Where there were movies that we've seen and we're like. It should have been good, but it just wasn't that great, right. you know? And it's like it had interesting thing ha- things happening. It had cool special effects. It had this, you know, you can kind of check the boxes and go, well, it should have worked. Um, but if it hasn't, you know, done right. that deep dive and connected with something that's really visceral, um, the audience can tell. 
Yeah, no. And then they can't connect because you didn't. Right. Like, we're the, we're the ones that have to clear that pathway, right? Yeah. So, and, and to be honest, it's scary, which is why a lot of us are, are resisting that, making excuses like that. Even when you know that that's what you Even when you know what's going to happen on the other side. (laughs) And I, and I think that's the thing too, right? Like it's kind of like, um, cleaning your room or your office or your house or right. Like if offices are a great example, (laughs) um, like there's so much, if you focus on, like the whole room. If you focus everything. on the task at hand and you're thinking like, oh, it's gonna like take forever and it's gonna be a huge mess before right? Like if you're focusing on that part, then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. You don't want to do it. And um but if you're focusing on the end part, right, like uh it it is gonna feel really, really good to be in that office mm-hmm. once it's been sorted out. Yeah. Right. Um and uh Focusing on that makes it a whole lot easier to go through the hard things. Do you know what I mean? So, so focusing on how we know it's going to make us feel at the end on all the different things that cleans up, right? If we have that creative practice in our lives where we're going to this space on a regular basis and being still enough to let whatever's up come out, yeah. right? Um Although then, now, oh, sorry. Go yeah. Ahead. <laughs> then, I mean, cause that, like, that's the, that's the root of, it's the root of bullying. It's the root of pulling other people down. It's the root of materialism. It's the root, what like, is? it's this not having the space to let that come out. Oh, right. Okay. When we're not clearing that space, when we're, when we're so afraid of ourselves, we don't feel stable. Right. So we try and well, and then we have to be, right. Then we have to like tear other people down and we have to try to stuff it down with stuff or stuff it down with food or chase it away with work or like all the dysfunctional self-harming things that we do to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Right. But, um, although I don't feel like now that we've talked about all that, I feel like, you know, we're saying that creativity has to be like this deep soul searching thing, which it doesn't always have to be, you know, sometimes that is what it is. And sometimes it is just doing, um, this creative pursuit that you like and that you're just doing it for the fun of it. And, and I think that's a good way to get started. Um, especially if a person isn't, uh, does not currently making time for creative stuff in their life is to, you know, follow the curiosity and go with, uh, you know, whatever sort of flows naturally. And then that, you know, may at some point lead into going if we're deeper. we're afraid of going deeper, we will not follow what flows naturally. That's the thing. Because yeah. we can tell where it's going to flow. And if we're scared of it, then we won't go there. And the thing is, is that we don't need to be afraid of it. Even though it is scary. Do you know what I mean? Like, the the... The, this is the thing about fear is that fear will tell you all the bad things about facing it, <laughs> right? Fear will tell you this could happen and this can happen. And, and a lot of it's not true anyway, like, cause there is this, um, where was I? Was it in Elizabeth Gilbert? Like if you are in creative life you're going to have fear, right? That's what the whole big magic book is about. Fear is a part of creative life because 
whenever we're facing the unknown, we are going to have fear. That is how we are programmed, right? So if we are afraid of our fear and we only want to do things that don't make us uncomfortable and we only want to do things that are like fun and light and glitter and sparkly, right? Then then we'll end up sort of half, we'll have just enough creativity to keep us, it's it's like just a little bump of morphine. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like we'll have just enough creativity for us to not go completely insane, right? But we won't allow enough into our lives to actually become who we are, right? And so mm-hmm. I think that's the trap that a lot of us get stuck into is that we're scared of being uncomfortable. We're listening to the things that the fear is telling us about this. But, like, it, the fear doesn't talk about what happens to us if we don't go there. Mm, right. <laughs> that, it leaves that part yeah. out. And, and that part is really, really important because basically all the problems in your life and around you and in your family and in the world are because of that. But the fear doesn't want to talk about that, right? right. Like, the fear is going to tell you, no, 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 that's not really that important. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, this thing's going to happen. And it makes it sound like or feel like because of this evolutionary thing, right? Like, if it's the unknown, the fear is going to come up. And, and whenever it's the unknown, the fear is, like, it makes us feel like we're going to die. Yeah. Like, the earth is going to open up and swallow us, and everyone we know is going to hate us and throw rocks and tomatoes at us, and we're going to be shunned into the wilderness and eaten by crocodiles. Like the- Well, it's, it's that fear of, like, walking into the dark mm-hmm. when you can't see what's in front of you, right? It's just that sort of visceral fear of, you know, what's ahead of me? I don't know. I could step on a snake. I could fall into a pit. I could, you know, and... So there's that fear of just not being able to see where you're going. Yes. And yeah. what's on the other side. <laughs> yeah. And if you're living if you're living creatively, then you're always walking into the unknown. Right? So there mm-hmm. one of the very first paintings that I did um after my divorce in Memphis. So I had a I had a show right before I left uh for the Netherlands. What was this? 95, maybe 95, something like this. And um, the year after my divorce, I actually, I did 13 pieces that year. Um, So it was just like flowing out like crazy, right? And the first piece that I did, um, I called paragraph (laughs) because it took a paragraph to explain it. Um, And it was a picture of me with um, my son, Miles, and he was, you know, a he was an older toddler at that time. So he's like clinging on to me like a little monkey or something. Um, but he's clinging on to me and I'm climbing up. So I, people would ask me like, so, Oh my God, how are you? Like after the divorce. Right. Mm, right. Um, and I told them, I, you know what? I don't know if what I'm stepping on is a rock that's going to hold me up or like a turtle that's going to bob under the water and I tumble over. I have no idea from step to step, you know, what's going on, but there is this energy around me that I have to follow. Right. So, um, so in the painting, you know, I'm, 
sort of climbing up. It's you can't tell if I'm in water or in the sky, right? And I am climbing up these like rocky turtles or whatever, uh, with Miles clinging to me. And there's like this rainbow energy coming from one of the top corners of the painting, pulling me upwards. And this like solid land mass at the bottom, with a broken wedding ring that has this like inky black kind of octopusy. Yeah. Like, you know, things like grabbing at my feet or whatever. And so it, it, it really summed up where I was. And, um, and I think it's a space that a lot of people can probably relate to, right? That, that solid, secure ground that that marriage had represented or thought mm-hmm. it was going to be for me. Right. Um, and, and then how many it parts turned out of- to be toxic. Right, because how many things did I have to shut down and shut off and turn away from and not pay attention to to stay in that space, right? So so security ended up becoming a prison. Right. And um and for me to 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 be free meant I was going to be in the space that you can't tell if it's up or down and I don't know what my next step is going to be. Right. Like a lot of times it is, uh, I think a sensation of, of walking like on stepping stones and you don't know the next stone and where it's going to be until the fog three feet in front of you lifts and you can see it. Right. Like that's just the way that, and do you feel that that's something that, um, you know, that going into that unknown, you know, you were saying that everyone who, you know, really um, fully embraces their creativity has to go there, has to walk into that darkness, into the unknown. Do you find that that's something that gets easier to do, or is it just as hard every time to do it? The Buddhists say you have to learn to be comfortable with discomfort. <laughs> uh and so, so I don't know that it gets any easier. I think you, uh, you just become more accustomed to right. You the get used to it, and you know what it means, right? And I think, like, part of that is tapping into your intuition, making sure that your eyes are open and that your ears are open, right? So that you can see and hear what you need to see and hear to know what the next step is going to be. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so part of that is tapping into that intuition as you become more tuned into who you are and, and what you need and you're more sensitive to that, right. To tap into your intuition, you, you have to be inside your body. You have to feel things. If you are outside of your body and you're not feeling, you're not going to have any access to your intuition because your intuition is grounded in your body and your feelings, <laughs> right? So, right. so, so as you tap into that more, I think the thing that makes it easier, air quotes, um, is that once you start feeling things and you're tapped into that, the cage of security becomes so hurtful. Like it, it goes from not being comfortable to pain. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's so painful that in contrast, the uncertainty of the walk- discomfort of the uncertainty isn't so bad by comparison. Absolutely. Right. So it's like, okay, well, what else am I going to do? Like, yeah. 
be choked in a black body bag, <laughs> you know, and try to make dinner in that. Like, what? <laughs> so, so I think by contrast, it's knowing, right? So there'll be those places even where um, I think the fear gets the better of you and you think like, okay, well, this is just too scary and I can't handle anymore. So I'm going to have to go to these things that I used to see as being security, Right. And, and you step your foot that way and you can feel almost immediately like, oh my God. I mean, cause I know there's been times in my life when, um, you know, uh, before I went into business myself and was still adjuncting where, uh, I would, <laughs> one of my spaces where I was looking for a new contract, um, and I went into this interview and they loved me, um, and uh, had, it was for an adjunct position, but by the end of the interview, she was telling me, you know, I I think we could, you know, we are going to have some full-time positions opening at this time, and I can totally see you moving into that. You're exactly the kind of candidate we're looking for, blah, 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 blah. And on the drive home, I got, I knew that within three months, I could see myself crying in the car on the highway on the way into that position. Mm. I knew it was going to happen. You knew where it was going. I knew it. Yeah. Right. So when they sent me the offer and it was more than what they'd advertised and they said in the offer, this is probationary period with an eye on. So they had put in the offer that they were going to be tracking me for full time. Right. And let me tell you, as an instructor, you know, yeah. like full-time positions are like unicorns. I mean, they just don't, especially in English. Like if I was like right. a science or a math person, it'd be different. But, um, so, but I, I turned it down cause I had, I already knew like, this isn't worth crying to crying on my way to work. And I, you know, that waking up in the morning with a freaking lead weight on your chest, mm-hmm. just going, Oh, or you start right. to get depressed on Sunday afternoon because yes! you know you have a whole week of work coming up. I know, right? Like, I had a job and they've done balance. studies on it that yeah. Americans actually uh, they dislike Sunday. Friday, that Friday has a better feel than Sunday does, even though Sunday, mo- you know, is a day off. Is a day off right. for a lot of people. It's not the day off for a lot of people, also, but for a lot of people, it's their day off. And Friday, they work most of the day, but they like Friday better than they do Sunday. Like that tells us something. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, to really, but we numb ourselves out. And the, Brene yeah. Brown talks about this a lot, right? That there is no um, selective numbing. If you're numbing one aspect, you're numbing all the aspects. If you are numbing this discomfort over here, then you are also shutting down joy and connection, right? So, um, uh, but it's so like, yeah. And the creative way is a way to do that. And then you, it like, and then you, you have something for it also. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's not just, um, because the work that you do go deep with like this movie example, right? That you used earlier. Like you're looking at it like it ticked all the boxes. It should have mm, worked. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, so that person also went through all the grueling parts of creating a product, right? Like they had to write the script. They had to rewrite the script. They had to like find all their actors. They had to find their tech people. They had to get the funding. They, they had to do all the, all the work. grunt work that's not fun 
to get it done anyway. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And then at the end of that, it's not as satisfying because they didn't do that itchy stuff. The really itchy stuff. Do you know what I mean? So, um, so, so using that, I think using creativity is probably one of the most pleasant ways to get that work done. And we have to get that, we really have to get that work done. That's what we're here for, right? So, um, it is one of, it's, it's the most pleasant way to get the work done because you do have something to show for it in the end. All right, so Jacqueline, I have a question for you. So okay, I'm, I'm interested. Let's see if they pick. <laughs> yeah, interested <laughs> what your take is on this. So, um, so something that is always an awkward situation for me is um, dealing with panhandlers. So, like those people who stand at the street corner with the cardboard sign, or the people who come up to you in the grocery store parking lot, you know, asking for change or whatever. Um, I. You know, there's times when I've given them money. Usually I don't. Um, and, you know, there's that question of, like, well, am I enabling this person? You know, what are they going to use it for? Why can't they just go to a place that provides, you know, services for homeless people? Um, and then there's this other part of me that's like, well, you know, you have plenty, you know, you should give to others and don't be so stingy and, (laughs) you know, you don't know what their story is and and maybe this is going to make a big difference for them. Um, and, and I realize that part of the reason it's so awkward is it sort of violates our social contract because we, we help people we know that we either have a friendship with or even Sometimes. a loose tie. <laughs> yeah. Well, or we don't, we crap on people, you know, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> okay, fine. So the way I see it then, I guess my perspective on it is, you know, if it's somebody that I know and I feel like there's some sort of relationship there, even if it's a very loose one, then I'm more likely to go, okay, you know, yes, I'm happy to give. Um, whereas if it's some random stranger, I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know you. And, and one time I remember these, um, couple of, uh, boys came up to us in the parking lot and they were selling like these candies, but, but like way overpriced. It was like $3 for this, you know, little box of M&Ms or whatever. So, uh, but it was, I was like, okay, but at least they're selling something like there's an exchange there. Like that felt very different to me than when someone just comes up and asks for money. So, uh, so I don't know. I want to get your feedback on sort of how you approach this and, and how you look at it. There's so much going on there. Um, (laughs) so I think, um, the first thing that, and there's like, my brain is going out in like four different directions at the same time. So let me try to figure out what thread I want to pick up first (laughs) to weave this. But, um, uh, one of the things that, um, and being from the South, there tends to be this very, um, I was raised with a very judgmental attitude towards people in this position, right? So people do have this, uh, well, just go get a job. Or I remember my grandfather used to say, you know, I, I asked these guys if they want work and they don't want work. They're just lazy and yeah. Or they're okay. just going to spend it on drugs and alcohol, like I've heard so, that yeah, one too, So right? we'll, get to, we'll get to that <laughs> one too. But, um, and the idea of like, well, why don't they just go to services, right? Why don't mm-hmm. they go to services um, and get services? Uh, for that one, I think a lot of people 
in this country, a lot of services are provided by religious organizations. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those religious organizations have requirements. Like you have to sit and listen to their lecture or someone is going to talk to you about this particular ideology or um, there's going to be all kinds of extra rules that go on that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, you have to accept their religion along with the money basically or the help. Right. Right. Um, and people don't want to do that. And, and, and I understand that. Yeah. Definitely. Right. So, um, and, and then on top of that, there's just not enough services. Like this is part of the problem. To meet right? the need. Yes. So I know, and I remember in Memphis, um, and, and we're in very similar situation here in, um, in Arizona, but, uh, I remember when I was in Memphis and the state stopped funding for mental health and, or drastically cut it. And so the largest state mental institution, um, in Memphis got basically shut down. So where are all those people going to go on the street? Of course, because they can't hold jobs and they can't right? like they were in mm-hmm. the institution for a reason. Um, and so, so, so the homeless population exploded after this decision was made. Um, so that's when it started waking me up to like, Oh wow. Like a lot of these people have been totally abandoned by the systems that are supposed to keep them. Okay. Do you know what I mean? And that's why they are where they are. Um, so it did start shifting my idea on it. Um, and coming from a family, um, where there is a lot of addiction and alcohol abuse, the, well, what if they just spend it on money and drugs? And of course in the South, this is a big, right. There's all this moralizing around that. Um, and I, uh, <laughs> one of my friends in Memphis, I was like, dude, I would want to drink if I had your life too. Like here, go get a beer. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, <laughs> so in some ways, I mean like, you know, like, oh, it's okay for like, if you, if you live in a middle-class suburb, it's totally fine for you to spend 15 bucks on wine at the end of the day because you totally deserve that. But this person that's been schlepping everything they own all day long and trying to find a place to pee is like this huge ordeal. Like they don't deserve a drink at the end of the day. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's, it's really hypocritical in a lot of ways. But, um, I remember a friend of mine in the Netherlands saying something to me that was so powerful and it really spoke to, it's really interesting, right? Because we, we spent a lot of time in this country talking about individual responsibility and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and all this kind of stuff. Um, and these are the spaces where we don't step into that, right? Our judgment of other people shows how we ourselves are not taking responsibility for our own actions. Because, so this friend of mine in Holland had said, you know, um, and it was a friend that I noticed every time we passed any, and there was a lot more services in the Netherlands, right? There's a lot more services in the Netherlands and they have a living wage and right. So there are cracks in the system. Of course, there's cracks in every system, but they aren't like grand Canyon sized cracks like we have here, right? Like you could work 65 hours a week here and not have enough money to pay rent on a one bedroom apartment. Yeah. So, so it's amazing that everyone, that any, you know, that, that we don't have more homelessness is really miraculous to me, right? When you look at, at all the breakdowns that our system has. But um, this is a place where there are much fewer breaks in the system. 
And yet this one friend of mine, if they had anything, any coins in their pocket and in Holland coins can be, you know, there's five Euro, you know what I'm saying? Like you could have coins could be a lot of money. If, if there were any coins in their pocket, then, then they, it was given to everyone that we passed or any that we asked. And so I had asked like, well, how, like, why do you, well, you know, they're obviously in a much worse situation than I am. So why, why wouldn't I help? Like, yeah, well, how do you know that they're not spending on drugs and alcohol, right? This question comes up. And they were like, you know what? That's their decision to make now. So my responsibility is to help people that are in need. And so I am going to live up to my responsibility. And it's their responsibility to use that money to help themselves. If they fall on their side, that's their stuff. But I have still done what I need to do. So powerful, right? Yeah. And it was a huge paradigm shift. And I still, well, I, I don't have cash most of the time, right? So this is yeah. one of the things, like, being in a cashless society, uh, what do you do when someone, like, I don't know what to give you. Like, so if I'm passing someone and they're, like, you know, hungry or what, like, if I have takeout next to me or, like, leftovers from, di- what, then I will, I mean, I have handed my food out the window many, many yeah. times because it's the only thing I have that I can give. Um I did that once, and um, because I happened to have just stopped uh, somewhere and gotten some food, and I had my second cheeseburger, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll give it to this person. And they took it and just kind of went like, <sighs> and like, and I was like, okay, so clearly you just wanted money, not really food. And so that was sort of one of those, it's like the bad experience mm. that sort of sets you against it. Because um, there's a lot of things that cost money. So shelters yeah. cost money. They're not free. Oh, really? Yeah. You have to have money to get there. Right? Yeah. And it's a lot less than a hotel. Right. Right? It's like 12 bucks a night or something like this. But it costs money. So um, getting a shower costs money. Like having shoes, especially here in Arizona. Oh, my God. Like you can't have not have shoes in right, the summertime. The you, they so they will have third degree burns on the bottoms of their feet. Right? So, but then how do you buy shoes for people if you don't know their size? Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, like flip flops becomes an answer or whatever, but, um, but there's a lot of things that cost money. Like we live in a society that costs money. So it's, it's kind of the same and in, 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 in some ways it's kind of the same problem. The argument has the same problem when we're looking at people that do spiritual work or that do creative work for their full-time living and people have these judgments about like, you know, well, I just think that, you know, if you're spiritual, you shouldn't be charging. Really? Well, how am I supposed to pay my rent? So yeah. should I, should I not be using my talents full time because only people that have someone that can support them should be allowed to use their talents full time? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, yeah. it's, it's a really ridiculous. weird kind of, um, and yet there's no way that they would go to their workplace all day, every day for nothing yeah yeah so or like take huge pay cuts because the work they're doing now is particularly rewarding so since you're helping the community you should make less wait what huh you're right like it just doesn't make sense but like we live especially teachers that's one thing that annoys (sighs) me so much oh my god teachers and how poorly they're paid it's like you know these places where we see where our priorities really are like our budgets really show where our priorities are but it this is the so it's the same kind of problem with that argument right like things cost money we live in a society where 
where most things happen because of money exchange. I mean, you can get a lot of things with barter exchange, and I do do a lot of things on barter exchange. But you, I, like, uh, last time I checked, SRP is not going to let me barter with them to make sure that I have air conditioning when it gets to be 115. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I yeah. need money for that. And, and homeless people need money, too. So they need money to get on the bus. They need money to stay in the shelter. They need money to eat. They need, and so like, so the times that I've had food and someone had a sign relating to food, right. Then I would roll down or even if it was just whatever, like anything helps, right. If you see that Mm -hmm. anything helps, then it was like, I, I have some salad. Would you like my salad? So I'll ask them like, this is all I have. I don't have any cash, but I do have this. Do you want it? Uh And and, and then they can say yes or no on their end. Right. Maybe they just ate. Yeah. And a salad in Arizona weather is going to be disgusting by the time they're hungry again. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So um, whatever it is. And I think, but that, and that's also something that, um, that sees them as a full human being that has a right to make decisions and have autonomy over, over what they receive or what they're given or whatever. And there's not... Because if we have a judgment going into that, I think, and and again, I'm you know like it makes me really uncomfortable too. I like, and and hearing um, there have been a couple times in my life when I have sat down and talked to a homeless person for a little while just to kind of hear their story and what's going on and that kind of stuff, um, and realize like, but for the grace of God, there go I. Right? There have been so many times in my life where I was seconds away from being in that spot and managed to find a couch to sleep on or managed, you know, like whatever I managed to find that next step and not fall in that crack. But, um, and just recognizing that. And I have to remind myself of that because it is really uncomfortable. I don't want to look at them. I want to like the floorboard of my car becomes very interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like, and I, and I did this today on the way here. Like I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I saw that lady the other day and I didn't have any money and I like felt really bad because like the sign breaks my heart. Right. Um, and so then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to pretend like I'm looking (laughs) at my phone. And then I realized, crap, I just reached down and now she probably thinks I'm getting money. And so now I feel like a total jerk because I did this thing to not feel uncomfortable myself or to wiggle out of it. And now maybe I got her hopes up and then it, she has to do that. Like, oh, crap, they're not actually getting anything from me. They're looking at you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, um, so so like by like so I am not someone that spends all day uh, getting out of my car at freeway ex- exits yeah. and entrances and sitting down and talking to people by any stretch of the imagination. And it makes me really uncomfortable, too. But. One of the things that I did hear over and over in those conversations was the pain of not even being seen and the pain of not being treated like a human being. And that sometimes the biggest gift you can give them is to look them straight in the eye. Right. So even if I don't have anything, so I try. That's one thing I've wondered about because there are plenty of times where I'm like, I don't even have any cash on me. And so, you know, so then I'm like, well, do I look at them and be like, no, I don't have anything. Or do I just, is it better to ignore them? Right. So if we think about like, and I, you know, one of my first jobs was as a cashier at a a grocery store. So that's, that's another one of my like sort of daily practices is to look at cashiers, look them in the face, talk to them as a human being, use their name in a sentence. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because they are everyone's emotional toilet at the end of the day. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, 
and you're just not see, especially, and I, they didn't even have cell phones when I was cashiering. I can't even imagine what it's like to be there now where like no one pays attention to you. And, um, so that not even being seen, not being recognized as another human being is really, really painful, really, really painful. And, and, um, so I do try my hardest to look them in the eye and say, I'm sorry. Right. So like if it's a shoulder shrug, right. Cause a lot of times it's, you're passing people in cars. Mm-hmm. Um, if people approach me on the street, if I'm walking on the street and somebody approaches me and like, you know, anything will help, whatever. And it's like, I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't have any cash, but best of luck to you. Right. Like look in the eye, tell them no, mm-hmm. keep walking. Right. Um, but uh, but in the car, it's a whole lot easier to avoid contact because we already have this little bubble around us, right? Yeah. Um, and so making an effort to look at them, shrug my shoulders, like hold up empty hands or whatever. And and sometimes um, then I will like cover my heart or whatever, right? Because it like there's some people that the sign on the story or their energy or whatever just breaks my heart. Right. So, and it's really uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> it bothers me. There's a lot <laughs> of people here in Arizona and Phoenix too. Like, I mean, when I go to the shop, the, to the grocery store, um, in my neighborhood, I mean, I usually get at least one person most times that I go there. Sometimes I have like two or three people come up to me during the time that I'm putting my groceries from the cart into the, into the back of the van. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we that's the other weather. thing, too, is it's like the summers there's won't. so many people in need, you yeah. know? Yeah, the summers are really uncomfortable, but they won't kill you the way, like, a Minnesota winter will. Oh, right. Right. So same thing with California. Like, they Southern California, even into, like, San Francisco and stuff, like, the, the homelessness is horrible because the weather's not bad. Right. Yeah. So the nicer the weather is, the, the worse the problem's going to be. But um, but I, I think it's... uh to be really careful of going into a place of judgment and to try to, and I recognize that this is easier said than done, but to try to connect to it and feel that uncomfortable. Cause I think if we, if we're feeling uncomfortable, whether you give or not, um, we're more likely to do something to change the system that gets so many people in that place to begin with. Right. And, and this, this is the way the system is. I mean, there are always going to be people that don't want to be in the system that want to have the full free lifestyle. And if that means sleeping in a cardboard box and having to change every time they're willing to do that, right? There, there are some people that that's just how they are. A lot of vets, actually, I remember like Vietnam vets, this kind of stuff, like that they, they are, <laughs> our, our system is not fulfilling, and sometimes people have traumas that happen and they just don't have the tolerance for the gray soul numbing existence of being in a cubicle all day long. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and we don't have as many options for not doing that as we used to. Yeah. Right. So, um, uh, but, I, but I think if we're not connecting with it on some level, then, then what are we going to do to change it? 
All right. So let's talk about uh, practical applications for what we've talked about here today. Yeah, I think the like piggybacking off the segment we just did on on homelessness and facing that issue and how we deal with it. Um, I think one of the things that comes to mind for that is to 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 go inward and find the spaces within us. Like, who? Where are the parts in us that are homeless? That have no place to rest, that have no, um, that are just left to wander, right? And and I wonder how many of us that part is creativity. Yeah, you know, yeah. or the judgment piece of it of well, you know, I can't give you that because you'll ab- abuse it or it's frivolous or you should be going somewhere else. Mm. Yeah. Like are, are those, so if, if you do find that your creativity is your homelessness, that it has no space, um, that you are not utilizing its function fully. So it's just left to wander. Right. Um, and, and then what are the judgments that you're giving that, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you're, you're going to make me go crazy if I let you in. You're you're gonna turn my whole life upside down. You're gonna piss in the plants. You're gonna <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like what? Are you, <laughs> what do you think the creativity is gonna do? What kind of um, what kind of judgments are you are you using to keep it homeless inside of you, wandering around without a place to be? Yeah, like just thinking about where you see them, right? So if there's, if you're looking at different places in your life where they bother you the most or upset you the most. And the grocery store parking lot, I think is the most annoying. The most me. annoying for you. Yeah. So, so for you to sit and look at, um, as I'm bringing, think about what am I doing at the grocery store while I'm bringing in provisions, I'm bringing in my nourishment. I'm right. And so that's and this, this interruption. So this, right. Yeah. That's where this interruption comes. So, so Say, how hey, is I that- need something from you. And you're like, can't you see that I'm busy doing what needs to be done over here? I'm being responsible. Maybe <laughs> you should go be responsible. Ooh, boy, yeah. do you feel that mirror <laughs> reflection coming back or yeah. what? Wow. Yeah. So that's, a, that, that's, that's going to be some awesome journaling later today. I can just yeah. feel it already. And, and for me, like the place that I see them that upsets me the most tends to be right before I get on the freeway. Right. So it's right before I'm getting ready to, all right, we're going to like go high speed now. None of this like slowing down distraction stoplight crap where I have to pay attention to what's going on. Right. Like that's the place where it's like anything helps, you know, so, or major cost streets. Yes. Right. These places in our lives where we have decisions to make, where there are different options laying out in front of us. Right. And then that's where this. We have to decide which way we want to go. Yeah. And there's that creativity saying, Hey, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) look at me. Yeah. Right. Are you going to, are you going to give, are you going to, are you going to feed me before you make, before you go down this path? Am I going to be part of this or are you going to ignore me now or judge me? Right. Right. Woo. That's some good stuff right there. (laughs) 
so glad that you could join us today. And we are here to start a conversation, not be the conversation. So we would love to have you join us uh, around the digital campfire. Uh, you can come to the Facebook page, find Kitchen Table Alchemy, the group. Um, and that's a great place to connect with other people, uh, talk about what we've been talking about, also to find out where our next pop-up podcast is going to be. And Pinterest, find us on Pinterest. So that article that you were looking for that you've scrolled through and you can't find it, it's probably on the Pinterest board. So uh, go find the Kitchen Table Alchemy group over on Pinterest. And for the latest episodes, you can go to our website, kitchentablealchemy.com, or you can subscribe through iTunes. And that way it's downloaded automatically. You don't have to remember anything. That's that's what I like. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So we've loved having you. Y'all come back now, you hear? here. <laughs>